Thank you, Sandy. And that is now my new mantra for the rest of my life. Sandy Bullock telling me, you're our favorite interviewer of today. <laughs> That's what happens in press conferences for crisis. Our brand is crisis, but we have no crisis today. Thank God, after last week, um, because I am joined by two spectacular gentlemen here in studio. Welcome to Behind the Lens, everybody. I know we have some new listeners out there today, old listeners as well, and my old friends, Charles Gargano, and the wonderful multi-hyphenate actor, writer, director, producer, musician, Luke Sabus. <laughs> hello. Thank you, Debbie. Hello. Say hello, hello Charles. Good morning, everybody. How are you? <laughs> So Charles and Luke are going to be here today. We're going to talk about two very special films um, that I am so thrilled because I've been in since the very beginning on both of them. Well, yeah, you were one of our first reviewers for uh, Missing Child when we played at the Boston International Film Festival Mm -hmm. last year of 2014, Mm -hmm. and you gave us a lovely review. Thank you. We have some of your quotes on our (laughs) our poster. That's how you know it was a good review. So (laughs) thank you for that, Debbie. And we certainly appreciate it, Debbie, all your support all along the way. Oh, I I mean, I love the film, and Mm -hmm. as I've maintained, and as we get into the film, it's this is not, you know... This belies a first-time directorial effort from you, Luke. We're not talking about your performance, Charles. Well, thank (laughs) you, thank you, thank you. You know. (laughs) You're great. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. you. And everybody will be in for a real treat this Friday if they come to the Lemley and Beverly Hills at, what time, 8 o'clock? No, uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, we're going to be screening, and we're going to be screening Ghost Tenant. Uh, It's a short film prior to uh, Missing Child. And it's, it goes ten is a comedy drama mm-hmm. starring Charles Gorgano, who actually stars in both films, and then that will be, be followed by Missing Child, followed by a Q and A with us. Yes, moderated, <laughs> moderated by the lovely <laughs> Debbie Lynn Elliott. That's right, Debbie and, Lynn and we'll also have we'll have Charles Gorgano there, myself, and uh, the actress Kristen Berlin, who is the lead yes. in Missing Child. And Kristen is amazing. Yeah, because she is. and this film boils down to performance, and as people will see. If you come out, number one, you get two for the price of one. Mm-hmm. You, you get a short, you get the feature, but you see two totally different sides of Charles and his range as an actor. And it's wonderful, wonderful to watch unfold. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Debbie. I appreciate that. So but, I do my best. Uh, well, you do, you do more than, more than adequately. Thank you. But in addition to Charles and Luke, We've got the multi-hyphenate Chris mm-hmm. Mulkey calling it at 11.15 to talk about his film, The Surface. Mm-hmm. Many of you may remember that uh, director Gil Cates Jr., writer-director Gil Cates Jr., uh, was on a couple weeks ago talking about the film. And then we were, and Chris wasn't available, but he is now available. And he co-stars with Sean Astin, and it's amazing, after his 40-year career, because uh, we were bouncing around in a lot of the same productions back in the early 80s. Fall Guy, Dukes of Hazard, Remington Steel, all that standard TV fare. Um, this is actually Chris's first real leading role. Well, wow. So, and 90% of the movie is out in a boat on the water. Sounds like Missing Child. <laughs> well, except there's no water. water. <laughs> no water, though. Yeah, this and this was well. the first time that Gil had worked with water. And, yes, he didn't realize all the challenges that he would be facing shooting almost an entire movie in the middle of a lake. Well, okay. Wow. So we'll, we'll, we'll hear from Chris about his experience of being wounded lying in the bottom of a boat, immobile. <laughs> For most of a movie. And then an absolute joy. I've known this man for, wow, almost a quarter century now. Larry Fessenden joins us at 1130. Uh, For those of you tuning in that were at the Arclight in Hollywood last night for a special screening of I Sell the Dead, you were treated to a rather raucous and fun Q&A with myself, with Larry, with Ron Perlman, and horror icon Angus Grimm. So tonight, uh, Larry and I will be back at the ArcLight. We're screen. He's uh, as part of the Cinema ArcLight Slam Dance Cinema Club. We're screening Wendigo. Huge, huge, huge favorite in the horror genre. 
uh, Patricia Clarkson, Jake Weber, and then Jake will be there tonight joining in the Q&A. And so, the screening's at 8 o'clock? It's at 8 o'clock okay. at the Arclight Hollywood. So anybody that wants to come, come. I realize that the Star Wars trailer is <laughs> dropping at halftime during Monday Night Football. But we have already calculated this. And halftime is early enough that you can watch the trailer, go online, buy your advance tickets for Star Wars for the 18th of December, and still make it to the Arclight. <laughs> Full night. There you go. Full, Full evening. Full evening. You know, trying to, you know, try to accommodate everybody. I like that schedule, though. You're giving them options there. It's good. Laid out the plan. That's that's just it. Larry and I were talking about this last night after, and I said, oh, God, you know, we sh I should have pointed this out to everybody that this is your alternative. You know, you don't have to stay home and watch the whole, even though it is the Eagles playing. Oh, and the Giants. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. East Coast rivalry. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. And Luke and I are on the same side of the table here today. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This, this this could be this could get bloody, right? But hey, I'm just happy my Temple Owls won on Saturday. They're undefeated. I'm just watching the Mets, so I'm. Not <laughs> I am I'm so thrilled with Mets and Cubs. I still. But the Dodgers lost. Come yeah. on, guys. I don't move care. on, Charles. Move I on. I <laughs> love the Dodgers. No. Come on. No, no, no. It's like I grew up. I mean, I watched Jim Bunning pitch a perfect game. I went to Connie Mack Stadium as a little girl. My grandfather wow. loved baseball. My dad, and he was actually the third base cameraman for oh, wow. years for WFIL uh, TV when they aired the Phillies games. So I loved baseball, and I still remember the poor Mets. Oh. The Miracle Mets of 1969. Tom Seaver. Mm -hmm. Yep. What about Sandy Koufax in 1965? <laughs> well... Yes. The but. Dodgers, remember? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was really into the Phillies in 1965. Oh, my God. East Coast, Charles. East Coast. East Coast, Charles. Yeah. I know, but I was on the West Coast. <laughs> but so I'm really thrilled to see anyway. the poor Cubs, their last World Series, 1908. The, wow. Oh, my so God. The Mets, the Cubs, either mm -hmm. one, whoever mm -hmm. goes to the series, it will be well-deserved. And I think it'll make for really exciting baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there. Now, everybody has learned a little something that I do indeed like baseball. Right. So, but what I also like are movies. And since you both are here, tell us, give us, let's start with Missing Child. Because we're going to be bouncing back and forth, you know, throughout, throughout the show, talking about your films and... Uh, interfacing with these other multi-hyphenates going right. in today. It's the theme today. The, my multi-hyphenate theme today. Good. So even Charles is multi-hyphenate. Kind of. Well, I write country music and play guitar. So See? I do. I, have a, I work with a guy named Carl, and we've been writing some country songs. In fact, we just recently wrote a country song for a guy from Whittier, actually, who did a movie called Honey Jar. And we wrote a country song for it, and it's called... Uh, Whiskey and wine. So okay, it's well, in a movie. Anyway, I know listen. a lot of people right now, publicists. That Annie, are you listening? Your ears just perked up at whiskey and wine. So, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now, but now, wait a minute, Charles. If you're writing these songs, why isn't Luke using any of your songs uh -oh. in his films? <laughs> well, he doesn't use country music in his films. Well, <laughs> maybe you need to make an exception and start. Well, we can but Luke's a better writer than I am, so we can, anyway. We can look at it. Future films, you never know. That's, yeah, that's right. We might have a future film with country music in it. So You know, hey, I mean, and you've got, you know, country music singers that are branching out into acting. Right, that's true. You know, Tim McGraw is a very fine actor when he puts he his is, mind to he it. He is, I know. I've seen him in several things. Yes. I mean, he was great in Country Strong. Right. And I personally think he should have had more screen time in Tomorrowland, which, by mm. the way, is now on digital HD and out on Blu-ray and DVD, too. Right. Um, I'm, in the, I'm in the huge Tomorrowland camp. Okay. Yeah. The Dreamers camp. It didn't do as well at the box office for Disney earlier this year, right. but right. it is a film that everybody... It's inspiring to watch this film and the sciences and space exploration and the future, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, it's I wonderful. didn't catch it, but I will. You've sold me on uh, it. Well, <laughs> and now you know, and George Clooney's in it, right? So yeah, I need no other reason than George. <laughs> but so let's talk. Missing Child. What is 
briefly, what is the story behind Missing right. Child, and where did this story come from? Right. Well, it's a, it's about a young woman uh, named Gia who finds out she resembles an age progress photo of a missing child listing, and she's going. The film is about her going to see her somebody who may be her father, who is played by Charles Gorgano. And the film, the idea came from originally. I had seen a lot of these missing child listings. They're always around mm-hmm. milk carton. This goes yeah. beyond well, the milk cartons. Well, it's there. I mean, I think it used to. It started out on the milk cartons, but then it went to everything. You know, you, you get a, a, bulletin, a bulletin boards at the grocery everything, store. Everything, everything. You know, all flyers, anything you get in the in the junk mail or whatever. You'll see missing child listings, and a lot of them are usually a, a people missing, say, six months ago or mm-hmm. something. Um, but there were a few where people are missing like for 15 years, 20 years, and there's still no resolution. So they're, they're still open. You know, those cases are still open, and we don't know where these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, I saw a bunch of those stories, and those kind of intrigued me. And that's kind of where the whole idea came from. Not someone who was missing, who was, say, just kidnapped, but say something that it, this might have happened to her as a young girl. She doesn't even mm-hmm. know. I mean, her background, she grew up in foster care. She never met her natural parents. So she doesn't know who her, who her parents are. So it may be the case where this may be her father, and that's the, what the whole story is about. And, of course, you also direct yourself. I do. <laughs> in, in a very, very key character here. Yes. You know, in the character of Joe. Right. Who leads her down this primrose path. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And, and Charles is here laughing, yes. <laughs> yeah. Primrose path. I wouldn't exactly use it a primrose path, but anyway. Well, initially she does think it's a primrose path. Yeah, she does. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And yeah. Joe, of course, is hoping it's gonna be a primrose path for him. For right. all, really. He <laughs> right. kind of wants to see this thing go smoothly and and right. uh every every the three characters are kind of they're very isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. All three characters are kind of isolated from each other. And trying to find some sort of comfort in their own skin. That's kind of how I look at the whole thing, basically. Mm-hmm. So, because this has very, very dark undercurrent mm. here, and we're not going to give away spoilers, you have to come and see <laughs> the film at its premiere That's on right. Friday. Um, how do you get into, how do you construct something, not just from a dialogue and story construct standpoint, but then translating that into visuals? So that you have that that tonal bandwidth right. that's cohesive and significant and you know matching throughout the film. Right, right. I, I think it, you know try to think of it thematically in a real simple way. Try to you know strip things down. Uh, one thing I had always said to pretty much everybody getting involved, whether it's the actors, my cinematographer. Cinematographer Francisco Bulgarelli, um, everybody, and the idea was just—I think of it as a journey into darkness mm-hmm. for a character looking for the light. Yeah, you know, it's a real simple way of putting it, but that's that's kind of what the film is. And there is those tones are I think are are dealt with. You know, it's dealt mm-hmm. with in in the cinematography and and in the production design, everything. And it's and it it, it comes through. I think that was something we all kept in mind, and I think it kind of it helped kind of pull things together. Well, now, speaking of the cinematography and Francisco's work, yeah. um, because, you know, that was one of the things that really was a standout for me mm. when I saw the film, is the cinematography. Some of the the camera shots, you've got some beautiful, beautiful overhead shots of the character of Gia right. alone in a little girl's bedroom right. with this beautiful white furniture that, you know, everything screams, you know, a young child mm. whose room had been left you know, as it is, hoping she would one day return. But then we get these, the camera up in the corner of a room, moonlight coming through mm. a window. And it just takes you, pulls you away from the darkness, but then creates its own forebodingness, right. so to speak. Right. How did you and Francisco go about developing, you know, this entire visual right. look? Because it is very, very distinctive. Right. And key. Yeah. I mean, we talked about films that we, you know, we kind of wanted to reference just for ourselves. Um, one of them that comes to mind, uh, American Beauty. I know that's one we kind of looked at and, mm-hmm. and just as a, used sort of as a vocabulary to try to communicate, you know, what we wanted to get across with the camera. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, you know, we, we, we planned everything out very uh, in great detail, <laughs> but a lot of that plan went, 
you know, out the window once they're shooting just because of time and scheduling. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. I know I had a lot, a, a, a very long shot list <laughs> that we didn't get to. <laughs> uh, first time filmmaker, what can I say? But, um, but it, it, it helped though. It helped because, mm-hmm. you know, once it's amazing because we, we shot the film in 13 days. So when we're, you know, when I had this long shot list and we're kind of behind schedule right from the beginning, but once you're there and you're going, the adrenaline's going, everything, you kind of, you know, you, you get hypersensitive to things and you mm-hmm. see what's important and you edit really quickly. <laughs> you know, you see a long <laughs> shot list and you see, okay, no, don't need it, don't need it, don't need it, whatever. And you get to the essence of what we do need. But it was, it, we, you know, we talked a lot before the film, and I think that helped a lot. It doesn't feel like it does <laughs> when you're doing it, when you're in the moment, it just feels like, like everything is falling apart. And, you know, but I think those things and those discussions prior to the film help out a lot because it does bring out something. That, I think the theme and, and a consistency with it, mm-hmm. I think, came about from that. And a lot of that consistency also comes through Emily Chu's editing. Yeah, absolutely. And Emily, a lot of people don't know this, but Emily was actually an assistant editor on Mark Pellington's I Melt With You. Mm. And Mark knows my great love for this film. Rob Lowe knows my love for this film. It is, a lot of people don't get it. And as I told a lot of press at the time when it came out, Wait until you get to be 40. Wait until you get to be mm-hmm. 50 and your life has been going by. Right. And you will understand this film. And, ah, uh, ah, uh, we have our first guest right. who's going to get his own <clears throat> musical interlude. We have Chris Mulkey on the line. But let's... You are listening to one of his compositions... Hello. Hello, Chris. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? As you might be able to hear, we're playing one of your one of your works as your intro. Well, thanks. That's great. I'm here in my studio playing guitar, and I was playing mandolin. I was going, "Wow, I need to call somebody." (laughs) Hey, that sounds great. Oh my God! Yeah, Tim sent that uh, sent over four of uh, of your uh, songs to me today, and I thought, oh, we got to work these into the show because they're fabulous. Oh, uh, which ones were they? Uh, what did he send over? I know he sent over "Better Together." It all starts with mm. a woman, and I don't have the the list is in the control booth with my sound guy. Uh, so, I just put yeah, I just put better together in a movie, so that was nice. That's nice. Very, very lovely. Well, for those of you listening in, this is the fabulous Chris Mulkey. He has, a, <laughs> and you are, and joining us today in studio with me, I have another multi-hyphenate writer, director, actor, producer, and musician. Luke Sabus is here. Hello, Chris. Hi, Luke. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I mean, both of you guys are just you. You know you. You just you're a one man band doing everything, and then we also have Charles Gorgano here, who stars in two of, of Luke's films, and who himself is a country music, you know, aficionado and writer. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just sitting in my studio. Good. It sounds like I hear you. Nice, sounds nice. good. <laughs> I'm just playing a little guitar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sounds good. My favorite. I can't, I don't know if you've talked to Gil at all. Gil, Gil and Jeff uh, were on the show a couple weeks ago talking about the surface. And as I told them, I said, it is about damn time you finally got a leading role like the role of Kelly in the surface. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's a great role. You knocked uh, this out of the park, Chris. Thanks, Debbie. I appreciate it. I, I, I was really happy to get it. I was... When I read the script, I went, "Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this movie, absolutely." So, wow, yeah, great. Well, you know, uh, one of the things that struck me, and I know, you know, I was mentioning to Luke and Charles earlier, is that ninety percent of this film was shot on the water with you in a boat, injured. Yeah, yeah, we were. Sean Astin and I were on in a sixteen-foot speedboat for a month, (laughs) but but if you have to be in a little boat with someone. Um, yeah, yeah. It might as well be Sean because he's great. He's uh, we had a ball. I mean, he's uh, smart and he's funny, and uh, you know that's what you need. Well, what's so beautiful about the the movie The Surface and about your role and Sean's role 
is that your two men at opposite ends of your life and this great bond develops and we see both of you a meeting of the minds at some point with each of you helping the other without realizing it and it's a great it is it's really a great commentary on the human condition and human connection that's really true i i think that anytime if you want to save yourself a good a good recipe is to go help somebody else. Um, that that'll do it. You know, if you stop thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about others, uh, a lot of times uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of redemption and uh, and reward there. You know, no, of course they're, they're, you know. So the, there you go. There's my sermon on the mount. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you when this script came to you, Chris. What what did you first think when you saw, and did they have you reading, for, was Kelly the part they were interested in for you in the beginning? Um, yeah, I, I, they sent me the script, and um, I was, when I was, at, I was playing down, I was playing in Houston, um, oh no, I was playing, I was in Houston playing, and then I was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, that was it, and, um, and I was, uh, and uh, so I couldn't meet with Gil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I finished the gig in Lake Charles, and I flew back that Saturday morning, and I had sound check for the. We were playing the uh, the Fourth of July thing at the at the, the big stadium in uh, Santa Monica, and uh, you know ten thousand people. You know, there. You know, <laughs> so so I uh, so I said, but I can meet with Gil at. I, I land at like nine o'clock. I was really passionate about the thing. I said I'll meet with Gil in Beverly Hills at like eleven. And then at one o'clock we have a sound check, and then I go on, uh, I go on at like seven, and we do two sets, and and then it's a fireworks. So um, I got off the plane and got my car and, and drove up to Beverly Hills. I had this great meeting with with uh, Gil, and I said, "Now I got to go do sound check." <laughs> so I, I said, "Whatever you do, get guys who can who can hang out in the boat and can swim." And and uh, by the way, I'm one of those guys. So. Oh you know? well, good. That's nice. I'm sure the insurance company was very happy to know that. Well, it, it was a little dangerous, you know. I mean, you're out there, you know, you're out there in the middle of Lake Michigan, and anything can happen, and you know, <laughs> stupid stuff happens. But no, nothing stupid happened. We got close to stupid, but nothing bad happened. <laughs> you always want to get a little stupid in those, those cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, wow. we usually got stupid in the bar afterwards. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously, after you've been out in a boat all day, that's I'd want to go get stupid in a bar, too. Yeah, we did. Uh, what we would do is we'd, we'd go, we'd shoot for like 12 hours, and then we'd uh, then we'd go back to the hotel and get wow. get a piece of chicken or something. Then we'd go up to the up to the upper bar to we called it the war room and we we go over the lines and all the scenes for the next day so that when we hit the water there was no question about what we were doing what we were going to say and how we were going to do it okay because, now that's that's really scary oh, how you just said when we hit the water <laughs> yeah well there is that there was a there was a day when we uh, almost didn't make it we had our rescue boat went away on something. Uh, the 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 catamaran went someplace else, and and what else? And the camera boat, then the picture boat went back to the marina, and twenty of us were on this small pontoon boat with overloaded with with gear, and a storm hit the lake. Oh my god! And uh, we were trying to get back to Milwaukee, and I'm a longtime water guy. I mean, I've sailed. I've gone across the Atlantic. I've been in the Mediterranean, uh, the South China Sea, and I turned to Captain Rick and I said, "I said because the water was running across the deck in the pontoon boat, and the, the bow was diving in, and uh, the wanes were changing." And I said to Captain Rick, "I said, I turned to him. I said, this is pretty bad, <laughs> you know." And he said, "Yeah, I'd say it's pretty bad." And I said, "Yeah, I was just checking. That's cool." <laughs> <laughs> what? What time of year was it that you were shooting? It was, um, it was uh, let me see, last two weeks in August, oh, first okay. two weeks in September. You know, I, I'm getting this so. great idea here for a movie for you and Luke. You know, the two of you can <laughs> co-write, co-direct. It can be a disaster film, and you can just fill it, both of you fill it with music. <laughs> a, a, That'd be great. A, a disaster movie, a musical disaster movie. 
We haven't seen well, good. Those. I like that. Train wreck's always good, you know? I always <laughs> like the train wreck. <laughs> well, you have another film that is, uh, that is just now out or coming out this week. You are in the very interesting mm. truth. You play Mo Udell. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm in that too. I got I got a bunch of movies coming out. Yeah, go see Truth. I mean, uh, it's it's a for people that don't know what Truth is about. It is essentially the Mary Mapes and Dan Rather story, and the whole, you know, the George Bush and the National Guard issue of some years back. What do you? Yeah. It, <laughs> It's it's crazy. Um, it's, people will go to hide the truth. You know they'll 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 do anything. So in this case, uh, George wasn't the patriot that he said he was. So there you go. Now what did, what what does this do for you as an actor when you see? Because early in your career, and I know I'd mentioned this earlier to the to the guys that you and I were basically running around on the same production TV circuits back in the early 80s. You were doing mm-hmm. Dukes of Hazard, Fall Guy, Remington Steel, Simon, oh, Murder, She Wrote, all, you know, all over, you know, CBS <laughs> yeah. Radford, up at Universal, all, you know, over at Warner's, all that cool, fun stuff. You do all of that, and then along the way, you get a shift, and you get a show like Twin Peaks. You get now later, you know, 30 years later, you're getting, you know, Ed killer role in boardwalk empire and then you're still mm-hmm. finding time for the to judiciously pick these choice roles in whiplash captain phillips now sure. truth how do you and you have the distinction of being one of the few actors of the past decade or so that you've actually done a csi where you got to play two different characters because i know the big thing has become that and a character actor yeah. does not get to come back and play a different character on a show anymore. It's not like the days of Dragnet and Adam Twelve. I know I, I I did that a bunch of times when I was uh, <laughs> when I was a younger actor, but uh, it was it was it's nice to come back and and do all that stuff. Uh, you know, I just worked with John Badham too in Rush Hour, uh, the new uh, the new TV series that's coming out on Fox. Um, you know, you know, this phone call is making me feel really good. I. You know, <laughs> I was kind of, I was downstairs. Actually, truth is, I was downstairs. I was playing. I was working on my mandolin chops, just doing scales, you know. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, and mandolin is kind of like, oh, you know. I mean, it's a little. It's kind of like a. It's kind of a dramatic instrument. It's mm-hmm. the lady of country music. I mean, we know that. That's it's the right. it's the princess of country musicians. You know, the the mandolin. And so I was thinking, oh, Chris, you know. It's been a long time, and I went. I looked at my phone. I said, "Jesus, I have to call Debbie." And so I threw it down, and now I'm on wow. my Gibson, and you're talking good stuff. It's like, <laughs> wow, it's great, you know. Throw the princess down and call Debbie. Right. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, but I've done a lot of stuff. It's uh, I've been really happy about doing it. Go see the Dan Rather movie. I mm. sat with Dan Rather. Mm. What, at, at the Broken Spoke, when Jeff Hughes and Chris Wall were playing, I was playing with them uh, wow. at, in Austin, Texas, and I talked to Dan after he got fired. Because mm-hmm. Dave Murphy, the, the lead guitar player in, uh, in the, the Chaparral's, uh, is married to Dan Rather's daughter. Oh, my. And so wow. it's weird that Doug Mankoff would turn around, who was a brilliant producer, um, and he would turn around and make a film about that uh, years later. It's, it's, it's stunning and it, when they it, call me. And yeah. did you read the book? Did you read Mary Mapes' book before or during that production? No, I just, uh, no, I didn't. I, I, I confess. I just went. It's actually, yeah. it, it's quite a good adaptation. It's it's amazing. It's all this stuff. You know the 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 double dealing and machination that goes on in 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 our nation's capital is amazing, and you know they vetted that story and it's true and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. the uh, the powers that be uh, sent a dictum down saying uh, we shall make this story untrue, and mm-hmm. we we'll get and we'll get the face of really American journalism fired from his job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it's amazing. It's kind of like what's going on with. Uh, they they've they've now uh, had the investigation into what went on at 
in Benghazi for <laughs> There's oh, yeah. another hearing this week. Right. <laughs> yes, but this is the longest. But this is the longest hearing. This the Benghazi inquiry has been going on longer than any other hearing in American history. Mm-hmm. It's been it's cost us four point five million dollars. Mm-hmm. I just read in the New York Times, and they've found nothing but they keep doing it because it's uh, it's political higher ground and so the world goes on and, and it's, it's just kind of there's a benghazi nar- there's a benghazi movie coming out soon too yeah yeah um, i know that's going to be i'm I, i'm holding my breath for that one uh, um okay. as far as as far as i'm not sure whether the uh well you know it's god bless hollywood and i work here <laughs> and uh, sometimes they get it right so, so now I have to ask you, before I let yes. you go, Chris, what's happening with Twin Peaks? Are you coming back as Hank Jennings if and when this thing goes forward? Honestly, I, I, don't, I haven't heard anything. I don't know anything. I am I'm, I don't I am honest, uh, I, I don't know anything. I know that the surface is out on DVD and Blu-ray and you can get it on Amazon.com and it's a great movie, but and I have, uh, I'm just finishing a movie about breast cancer, and uh, I just, I don't know anything about Twin Peaks. I don't know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I know that they're shooting, I know that they're shooting up in Washington, and I know I'm not there, so. Okay, that's not a good sign. <laughs> well, it is, you know, here's, here's the way I feel about it. Um, I like what um, all of us did in, uh, in uh, back, back in the day when we did it. And we were all that age, and we all did that. And um, and I'm happy that that happened. Well, we will keep our fingers crossed for more. And will well, you will you ca- will you call us again, Chris? Yes, I'll call you really drunk after midnight. <laughs> you can you can always call me really drunk after midnight. That's fine with me. <laughs> well, you can sing us I didn't a song. Get to rap with, right. the, with the boys, but. Um, Another time, I'd love to talk to you guys and Definitely. sit down and uh, fix some guitars. So. Yeah. All right. Please, please, Thanks, Chris. please do. We're playing you off <laughs> so Larry Fessenden can come on. <laughs> nice, okay, well, nice talking to you. Thanks. God bless you all. You have Thank a great you. day. You, you too. too, Chris. Bye-bye. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. And that was Chris Mulkey. And now, now, the, the legend himself, as I said last night to everyone, before there was Jason Blum and Blumhouse, there was Larry Fessenden in Glass Eye Picks. Are you there, Larry? Yes, I am, Debbie. You're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the, I am very serious. I'm going to be run out of town with that kind of talk. <laughs> no, you're not, because Jason knows how much I adore him, and I say it with great love because you followed up on the great horror of Universal and then Hammer, so you always have to understand the past to come into the present. And to go forward. So without you and horror would not have taken the shape that it has. And I I firmly believe that. And because of you and Glass Eye and what you've done, and I've said this before, we wouldn't have filmmakers like Jason Blum wouldn't know wouldn't have known about a Ty West. You know, you were there with Ty with House of the Devil. You were there with Jim Mickle with Stakeland, you know, without you. A lot of these great guys now, we wouldn't have known about. Well, that's cool. I'm sure they would have found their way, but we definitely at Glass Eye we try to nurture new talent. And I found Ty right out of college. I saw his shorts and I said, "Yo, dude, if you want to make a feature, I'd be really curious how that would go down." And he showed up shortly after graduating <laughs> with a lot of pitch ideas. I chose one about killer bats, and I made. <laughs> Uh, the Roost for about a hundred grand. We shot it on 16 millimeter film uh, with a DP that he still uses to this day, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was spectacular. And I brought Glenn McQuaid on to do the uh, special effects. He was working in an effects house, so we built our family slowly over time. Uh, we found Jeff Grace, my producer Peter Polk, found uh, Jeff Grace who did the music for The Roost, and then he must have gone on to do about seven or eight maybe 10 other glass eye movies so mm-hmm. it's been a it's been a great experience um i think ty would have found his way on his own but certainly uh i got him when he was young which is good that's when they're cheap see and then <laughs> then we hired him to make he wrote uh house of the devil and it took us a couple of years to find the money for that so in the meantime we made a movie called trigger man which is also 
kind of a cool slow burn film. Mm-hmm. So that was that was Ty, and then you know I've had, uh, worked with Graham Resnick, Glenn McQuaid, a lot of other great directors uh, in the stable, and all of us helping each other. Glenn does sound design. I mean, uh, Graham does sound design as well as uh, he's a director. Um, so it's been really fun mentoring and learning from these uh, these kids and seeing them all grow up. I know. Tell me about it. I mean, I've been doing it because the first time you and I first met, it's been about 20 years ago, if not longer. And I've been doing this 27 years. And oh, my Lord. To see where everybody has come from and to see see the talent early on and get a chance to nurture it and see where, see where these filmmakers actually, and these actors actually go in their career if they turn into total arrogant morons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Which, as we as we know, and just so you know, Larry, you're here with fellow multi-hyphenate Luke Sabus is here. Hello, Larry. And hey. and wonderful actor and country musician George Gargano is here. Thank you, uh, Charles. Hi. And Charles is in uh, two of Luke's films that are premiering this coming Friday. I'm moderating for him too. Oh, dynamite, dynamite! You're gonna have a good time, Luke. Ah, I'm looking forward on. to it. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And she no. keeps the uh, keeps the ball rolling. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. there's those awkward silences as you <laughs> wait for a question from the stunned audience. Uh, Debbie steps in. It's, it's, she's a lifesaver. Well, thank you, thank you, Larry. Of course, I think everybody last night was just basking in the glow of you and Ron Perlman and Angus Grimm. Uh, it, oh yeah. You know how how can you not bask in Angus and his and his beautiful stories, mm-hmm. and of course I've already warned Luke because his his two films on Friday, where do you think they are premiering, at the Lemley in Beverly Hills? <laughs> I cannot be part of this Lemley bashing. We were oh, all thank you. <laughs> to, to let the viewers know, or the listeners know, we. Yeah. Uh, we did premiere I Sell the Dead in, uh, I think, the Sunset Five years and years and years ago. And, uh, yes, the projection was not good, but maybe it was our tape for that matter. I don't know. The technology was different. Anyway, Lemley has also premiered Habit uh, mm-hmm. and played a lot of my films over the years. So he's uh, he's still okay in my book. Bitter Feast played there. What? Bitter Feast played over there at Lemley. Absolutely. All of our little films, which no one would really pick up, but I would self-distribute them mm-hmm. and get them get them the exposure and the inter, uh, the reviews that were so critical in those days before uh, the Internet or before the, you know, the blogosphere. There was really the print ad. Mm-hmm. still matter. The, the, the print press. And, and it was a joy. I got Kenneth Turan to review uh, 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 Habit. It was mm-hmm. a great, exciting milestone and i and i reviewed i don't know how many of your films that i would pick up you know we first met at la film festival one year and that's where i started picking up on glass eye films and you and they were these tiny little films and you there was not a year that glass eye has had a film at la film festival that you did not make my opening day curtain raiser must see festival films list I know. Spectacular. And that's amazing. The support made such a difference. Still does. Uh, You know, we have critics who are really aware of what we're trying to Mm -hmm. do, which is bring a certain authenticity to the dark arts of the horror genre Mm -hmm. and and really make it count and tell stories about real people in bad situations. (laughs) Um, And, you know, explore all the philosophical implications of, of horror, you know, issues of loneliness and disenfranchisement and and madness which is something we all have a little bit of and when it tips you over the scale it really is a scary world so i like these themes i think they help us uh connect and actually appreciate each other more and and luke is here smiling because his feature film missing child has many of those same dark (laughs) journey into darkness for sure (laughs) yeah cool luke i look forward to uh getting to know your work Come well, on down. If you're in town Friday, Larry, come over to the Lemley Beverly Hills to the premiere. Oh, certainly not. I'm jetting off as soon as my <laughs> screening's over. <laughs> yes, and speaking of, of screening, very exciting about tonight. Tonight we are screening as part of Arclight Slamdance Cinema Club, Wendigo. Yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, this is a, uh, a film that is so immersive on the big screen. I mean, any film is... Uh, but it's just a real treat to be able to show 
these uh, indie films, you know, in such a fine establishment as the Arclight. Really appreciate Flamedance for setting these up. Mm-hmm. It came out of the blue, uh, and we yeah. put these shows together. I've got Jake Weber, who's in the movie, coming by to say hey. And uh, it's a really great opportunity just to see your movie and to hear it. Right. I think we all said last night, yeah. all this careful sound design, you never know how it's being heard on the home theaters. So it's just great to be in a place like the Arclight and really hear all that detailed work. Yeah, that's that's one of the few theaters. And I know that Luke goes to the Arclight, mm-hmm. Charles goes to the Arclight, and right. the sound is I think out of all the theaters I've been to around the country, I really think that the sound is one of the the key elements to the movie going experience there. And with a, <clears throat> with your films, horror, you know that have the horror bent to them, sound is very very important. It's so profound, Debbie. You know because I always say you only have one picture, but you have seventy tracks of sound right. or more if mm-hmm. you care to, and you can really. Uh, whereas audiences today are sort of cynical about uh, horror, for one thing, and they sort of think they've seen it all and they're a little bit smug as they watch these things unfold. But actually, with the sound, you can subvert their experience in a way that they're not quite as aware of, so they can't be quite as uh, dismissive, and it's, it's an exciting way to control the audience. And I think with Wendigo especially, because there are some very key auditory moments within the film. Yeah, I mean, I really like uh, layering sound and sort of uh, bringing the audience into that subjective world where you're constantly, I mean, all of us do this, you're reflecting on something someone said, the little nicks and jabs that you experience through the day, and they sort of accumulate, and, you know, you mull these things over. This is all part of the kind of the madness we all live with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then anybody who comes to the Arclight tonight, they also have a chance to win... The Larry Fessenden <laughs> Collection box set. <laughs> Which, your life is not complete <laughs> without it. <laughs> so, well, I, I think I'm going to show up. Scrambling <laughs> for your copy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's cool. And, you know, and I know you don't have them tonight because we had them last night. The I Sell the Dead soundtrack that just came out. This is the yeah. most beautiful, beautiful. It's vinyl. It's also, as you said, it's on iTunes and CD and all of that, but the vinyl and the liner notes are just, it's exquisite. It is, everybody should have it in their soundtrack library, just like everybody should have the Larry Fessenden collection in their their library. (laughs) Everyone who's got 400 minutes to spare, I think that's (laughs) for sure. What films are included in the Larry Fessenden collection? Uh, well, a much maligned early film I made called No Telling, which is a Frankenstein tale about uh, vivisection and a marriage falling apart, <laughs> just what all the horror fans are waiting for. Uh, and then Habit, is a, a Lower East Side vampire movie set in New York. It is certainly uh, remarkable by being such a time capsule of the city. Uh, then my movie Wendigo, which is about a couple that goes to the country and encounters uh, uh, a hunting party things go very badly and then um, The Last Winter which I filmed in Iceland and that's the tale of uh, oil drilling and global climate collapse and ghost and madness <laughs> When was Habit filmed? Habit was filmed in 1994 Okay, I'm from New York I have to check that out just to yeah. see your... Uh... References. So how how was filming in Iceland? Ah, spectacular! I love my crew. They were like Vikings. They really, uh, they got up at a twelve-hour day. You couldn't negotiate that. There was no uh, bull puppy and um, no craft service. You'd get sandwiches after three hours of work. It was very uh, spare, very desolate where we filmed. Okay, I see the light bulb going off over Luke's head now. Oh, Iceland, my next <laughs> film. I'm going to shoot in Iceland. That's right, Iceland. <laughs> That's where I want to go. I can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. The landscape's amazing, so all kinds of possible scenarios yeah. exist there. Yeah. We happen to shoot in the winter right. for the for the snow and ice, but, uh, you know, it's a really varied landscape. Right. Was it extre- crews are great. Was it extremely cold, or...? It was, it was, but we were dressed 
for the weather, we knew what we were getting into. <laughs> right, right. And you had Vikings for your crew, so you couldn't go wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. They knew their way around a right. blizzard, right. which right. we did encounter a few. Yes, but were, were they zombie Vikings? <laughs> <laughs> Not before. <laughs> after, by the well, end of the shoot, I guess. Well, only after, yeah, after several pints. That was the only downside is that the liver oh. suffered because after all that day's work, then it was straight to the pub for seems a to be a theme rigorous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, that's that's a running theme today with everybody. Right. It's yeah. like we finish shooting, we go to the we go to the bar up top, right. we go to the pub. We go know? to the pub. Yeah. So I guess when we leave here, we have to go to the pub. <laughs> Why you, mean you guys aren't at a pub. That's where I'm called. <laughs> no, Larry, I I'm sorry. No, no. I wait till I'm done working, so I'll make sure I go to one before I see you tonight. Okay, excellent. Yes, it's nice to hoist a few before. And then you and, and then you and I will have to go together afterwards. <laughs> Certainly, I hope so. I'll buy you a drink. Well, and that would be so lovely, Larry. I can't thank you enough for calling in today. It's always so fun to talk to you, and I get to spend more time with you again tonight. I'm so excited. I look forward to it. And thanks for years of support. Let me say that online, on the air. Oh, it has been my pleasure, and you know you will have many, many more years of support from me. You don't ever, oh, that's awesome. You don't ever have to worry about that. But tonight, everybody, come to the Arclight in Hollywood, Wendigo, 8 p.m., and a killer Q&A afterwards with Larry and Jake Weber, and we can even pin Jake down and have him talk about reteaming with Patricia Clarkson this summer in Learning to Drive. Ah, that'll be swell. I saw the movie. It's lovely. Isn't it adorable? It really is. It's just, and I was so pleased. And I'll tell you what, the reason to buy the box set is to listen to Jake and Patty do a commentary while watching Wendigo for the first time in 15 (gasps) years. They're so sweet, and their recollections are so poignant, for me anyway. Oh, my God. Now I have to get a box set just to hear that. Yeah, you see, I just made... $50. $50. You, you, you can, I will give you my $50, Larry. No doubt well, about it. Well, All right. I'll I, buy you the drink with that $50. Okay. Well, I will see you tonight, my friend, and thank you again so much. And you will come back on Behind the Lens in the future, won't you? I certainly will. I can't wait. Should we do it tomorrow as well? Well, no, we can do it. I, my show's only Mondays until I get, you know, lots of advertising dollars to help pay for the show. It's only it's only every Monday. All right. Well, I'll be uh, pitching for you. But you anyway, get... thanks, guys. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Larry. And I'll see nice you tonight. Okay. Good luck, Luke. Bye. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Larry. Bye. And there we have. This is this is how the show rolls every week, guys. It's fun. You know, it just keeps going and going and going. That's fun. You do great. You well, do great, Debbie. Well, We're thank good. you. And now na- now we go back to. Missing child, yes. ghost tenant. <laughs> All right. You know, we've talked. We've talked. You know, Emily's editing. We've talked about mm-hmm. Francisco cinematography. Why I get? We got to talk about Charles. All right. Because this performance is so creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. You are so very welcome, Charles. How did the two of you? Because you two are like two peas in a pod. Right. <laughs> How did the two of you connect and hook up? So that you're now working on the all these projects mm. together. Well, we we live roughly in the same area in Hollywood. We we met actually in an acting class, a a uh, cold reading acting class that was taught by someone by the name of Lee Newman, mm. and that's that's where I met met Charles. And actually, at the time, I was just acting; I wasn't directing. And to tell you the truth, I he I was helping him him out with some of his auditions. And I think that kind of helped me get into the. I was. I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I was. I was taking some classes over at uh, L.A. City College on it, and I was writing, and I knew that's where I was going. And when I was helping him out with his auditions, I kind of got in the, that mode of directing and just sort of. I, I understood. Yeah, I know what I want here. <laughs> Not that it helped his auditions. It probably got, he got in the me way. a lot. Well, he might have gotten in the way, probably. But uh, but I felt like that's the it's the time now for me to do that. I feel like yes, I know I have a sense of what I would want, and that's you know when you get to that point where you say, well, I I mm-hmm. could do better. <laughs> that's when you should get behind the camera and, and do it, direct it. You know, so. But, that started that started my my interest in directing. But as far as Charles, well, yeah. yeah, I mean it was. You know, I had written the script, and I think 
I, I came up with the character, and I did have Charles in mind from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it kind of... Doesn't it make you feel special, Charles? <laughs> right, yeah, it made me feel well, very special. He thought of anyway, you for this right, role. Yes, yes. But, well, yeah, he thought I was weird. So anyway... But he, yeah. he's not weird. But, you know, yeah, you do have to talk to Charles more to get to the weirdness. <laughs> so it's not something that's readily available um, when you see him. But when you do, you do talk to him, you, you see he has a rich history. In terms of of his you know his past with uh, relationships, his family, his ki- kids, and everything, and that is kind of what I use sort of for the subtext of a lot of the of the story. Mm-hmm. It's not you know literally. It's certainly not Charles's story. I mean, you can... no, I, I can, <laughs> I, can would, vouch, have... I can vouch for this. This right. is not Charles's story. Right. But there's qualities of of the there are qualities yeah. of his character that that I did want, and he did show in the film you know he mm-hmm. showed a real person which is what mm-hmm. the, the part needed otherwise it would almost be you know a caricature of a of an odd person yeah and this particular role um charles's role here uh would not work as a caricature mm-hmm. this has to be you have to believe that the, what henry believes you have henry is trying to sell himself as the long lost relative Mm-hmm. of Gia. Right. And you have to believe that he believes that. Right. And I think at some points he even does. I think he gets lost in that his own fantasy. Mhm. And until he serves dinner. Exactly. Um but we won't go there. But <laughs> Charles, when you read when Luke came to you with this script and said, "I have this. I have you in mind. What do you think?" When what? I read this script, I first of all, I I was just I was totally blown away. I said this role could it's Academy Award winning stuff. Unfortunately I haven't won an Academy Award for it yet, but it's I mean this is a actor's, young. It's an it's an actor's role. It really is. It's a it's a role where you can go from A to Z with it, as as you know. And I, I felt honored and I felt really, really excited. I thought, well, I was just I was very happy when I read the script. It was just, I think, I thought it was, I mean, I never expected it to be that good, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. when he gave me the script, but it was. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Sorry, but it, it was, no offense, but I mean, it was, it, it really was good. And I felt, you know, as you know, the movie and the twist and the turns of the of the character of Henry, mm-hmm. and even the other two people, you know, of Joe and, and Gia as well. I mean, they're all there. It's almost goes back to the three misfits, you know, to mm-hmm. the three people that are, in their own life but have their own problems mm-hmm. so you know and they're searching for their own identity i guess you might mm-hmm. say in their own way so in henry's own he's searching for what he's searching for as well mm-hmm. as joe is searching for what he's searching for and she is searching for what she's searching mm-hmm. for and i read this script and i just and luckily luke gave me a lot of time to work with it and directing me in the in a lot of rehearsals time so how is he as a director? Very good, very good. He's very good, patient. And not sometimes he's not too patient, but <laughs> but you know, I mean, a director has to be what what Luke is. He has to true confessions here. We're gonna get the truth out now. To get the not, truth out of it. Not patient. And he knows he knows what he wants, and that's the good part. Mm-hmm. It's not like well, it's okay. It's not okay if it's not okay with him. Mm-hmm. And that's I appreciate that as an actor because. I, as an actor, want to do my best job, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to get that, the director's got to, you know, once they say, when you please the director, you're, you know, you're happy. So, so you know, with that in mind, Mr. Director, mm. <laughs> how does, how well does actor Luke Sabus take direction Ooh. from director Luke Sabus? <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty, well, you know, he's sleeping with the director, so he's, <laughs> he's got an edge there. Um, uh, <laughs> it gets yeah, dirty, yeah. but no, um, he's really good. <laughs> no, 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 the, the, the wow. thing is, no, uh, the thing is, I don't think too much about the acting when I'm, when I'm on camera. And, um, I actually felt in hindsight, I felt I was a better director when I was in a scene with the other actors. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was more efficient as a director. <laughs> Because I got to the point, you know, when I'm in the scene and I had to adjust something in in another performance, I would I would get right to it, and I would be, mm-hmm. and and that was helpful. I think that's the way it should be. Um, in some of the scenes where I wasn't um, participating as an actor, 
I would be maybe uh, more verbose <laughs> in my direction, mm-hmm. which wasn't helpful. wasn't helpful for anybody. So it kind of, in, I, I felt uh, it, it taught me I did have to get you know, get to the point, no matter if I'm in the scene or not. I have to get to the point and mm-hmm. and not uh, you know go too far with my direction. Well, then after learning that about yourself mm. and directing Missing Child, did you implement that and bring some of the things you learned into your next film, which is the short Ghost Tenant? Right. For sure. I mean, for sure. Well, I'm not in Ghost Tenant. Right. <laughs> um, However, but, right, if, right. but if you learn to get to the point. Yeah, absolutely. I think I did. I don't know, Charles. I think <laughs> he got to the point very well. I think in directing Ghost Tenant, he did a great job. He was very specific. Again, he was very specific in what he wanted, how he wanted uh, Ned, and even with George and uh, the other, you know, Anne. It's very... It's very specific. I mean, that's the only the best way I can say it is what mm-hmm. he wanted and how he wanted these characters to be and who they were. And mm-hmm. he was very clear about who these people were. So, mm-hmm. did you see growth in him as a director between the two projects? Absolutely, absolutely, yes, and uh, yeah, much growth and very a little bit more. Easy to understand, I guess is a word. He just mm-hmm. I wasn't a babbling drunk in this one. Right. He was so. just, you know, this is what we need. That is just... becoming a theme today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Anyway, no, 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 no. It was it was good. It was all good. No. But no, I think he grew. I think I grew as an actor. I think I grew as an actor in Missing Child. Uh, uh, I never had that the opportunity in my life to play that kind of a role or have that kind of a I mean, I felt very fortunate that I got this role and that he gave it to me and he gave me a real opportunity in this role because I was, uh, it was an actor's dream to play this role, you know. But now don't say too much of that because then, you know, he might try and cut your pay next time. I know, it might cut my pay well. <laughs> it's hard to cut nothing from nothing. Hey, he got say? something. He well, got I got paid, but you know. <laughs> yeah. We want to just have a bigger film next time. Is well, how's it looking? Because Ghost Tenant, it is a short mm-hmm. because you do have plans to make the feature. Yeah. Now, number one is the script for the feature done. It is done. We, we I have a draft of it. Um, I'm still working on it. Of course, I think I'll always be working until the day we shoot, and even then, after thereafter, we'll still be working. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, we do have a good. We have a working script. Um, and the 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 short film actually is it takes place prior to where the feature film starts it's okay. i consider it a prelude to the feature it's it's a backstory of one of the characters a character played by charles gorgano um he's he is um well, i guess i'm not going to give too much away it's in the title he's a ghost or he becomes a ghost it's basically about a man who deals with his fear of dying and it's interesting cuz um again I know Charles well. <laughs> not, not to give away tr- the end of Charles's story, but you know, at some point, we're, you know, Charles we're going. doesn't want to die either. <laughs> so, and and there is that. That's true. <laughs> it's funny because I would have. I think when I was very young, I had almost this. Aware, it was like a, an Alvy Singer, you know, um, revelation of mm-hmm. of being, you know, that fear that we, you know, we're not going to last forever, you mm-hmm. know, and and what happens to us afterwards. And I had these thoughts when I was very young. I don't know, like eight years old, maybe younger even, and they kind of went away. And then, um, but I noticed uh, my my father passed away about five years ago. Yeah, your dad passed about the same time yeah. my dad did. Yeah, and um, it was. You know, I, I saw him, you know, he he lived a good long life and, and I saw him at the end of his life and I saw at times I saw him thinking and, and, and talking a little bit about, you know, what's to come. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, that um, articulate or clear about it, but I sensed there was some concern there, probably more than he even wanted to talk about. And, so I'm oh, hearing beautiful music. Yes. Oh my God! <laughs> lovely oh my note. God. The angels yeah. are speaking. That's 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 our 30 second cue. Okay. Oh my goodness! The, our time, our time is uh, oh, up. Wow, that just wow. raced by. You guys are going to come back, aren't you? Oh, I'd love to. Of course, to. that'd be great. Fantastic. Weekly, weekly thing. We'll have yeah. five minutes with Charles and Luke every week. That, yeah. That's yeah. hey. That would be great. You guys can Absolutely. come back anytime. But in the meantime, Friday night, Lemley right. Beverly Hills, seven yes. o'clock. Double feature, Ghost Tenant and Missing Child, Q&A afterwards, and we will regale you with entertainment. Yes, and we, we're playing the films all week long, full schedule from October 23rd to the 29th at the Lemley Music Hall in Beverly Hills. On Wilshire Boulevard. Right. 
and you can park around the corner, and it's and they validate parking, in it, or there's ten dollar flat parking around there's, there, and there's, there's street of, parking. Yeah, you just gotta look yeah. for it. Pay, watch those signs. That's it. All right, that's Please it. Please come. Thank that's you. Thank, thank you. you. All Bambi. the time we have today behind the lens. I'll be here next week with Attorney Brandon Leopoldis and Sylvia Desrochers. Yeah.